Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Do you miss the days when all the answers to life's big questions could be found in the juicy pages of Dolly Doctor? Sex, friendships, relationships, family, life stuff. Dolly gave us total honesty with zero judgment. We learned that it wasn't weird to masturbate, like a lot, and that periods can sometimes be tricky, unpredictable things. We talked about what to do when we had a crush on someone and how to get over relationship breakups. Having Dolly to turn to made all that teenage angst a bit more bearable. Adulthood was around the corner. We would all get our shit together, move to the city to become big time businesswomen and sleep with Harrison Ford like Melanie Griffiths in Working Girl. Was that just me? Life was happening. And then we all grew up and realised that everything is still confusing. Welcome to the Big Sister Hotline. Presented weekly by me, Clementine Ford, this is your place to ask all the questions you still don't know the answers to about sex, friendships, relationships, family and life stuff with the kind of frank advice you could expect to find from the person who loves you most, your big sister. Because life isn't easy. And sometimes we all need a big sister to call on. Hello, dear listeners, guys, gals, and non-binary pals. You're listening to the Big Sister Hotline, a weekly podcast offering frank, funny, and feminist advice on all the things that matter, life, love, and whether or not you should break up with your no-good Nick boyfriend. Spoiler, the answer is always yes. Thank you so much to all the wonderful people who've been sending in questions each week. I wish I could answer them all, particularly because I think a lot of you really desperately need the advice of big sisters. Again, the answer is always leave him. Alas, we have but an hour on the old hotline podcast. However, I am thrilled to let you know that the big sister hotline is going to very soon also be a website that will function alongside this year's show. I'll be answering more of your questions there in print form, as well as hosting short interviews, profiles and features, and maybe even some fun other things that I haven't come up with yet, but we'll probably figure out as I go along. So please look out for the Big Sister Hotline online. Now, each week on the hotline, I'm joined by a very special guest who brings their own brand of Big Sister expertise to help answer your dilemmas, conundrums, and straight up anxieties about life. And this week, I am beyond stoked to welcome Rebecca Shaw, a.k.a. Snitch, a.k.a. the genius behind Twitter's hilarious parody account, No to Feminism. Becca's written for Tonightly with Tom Ballard, Hard Quiz and Get Kraken, and she was a writer for The Backburner, deputy editor at SBS Comedy, and has also written for The Guardian, Pedestrian, Junkie, 10 Daily, and most other places you can think of. She's even a 2018 ARIA Award winner. And Beck and I have been friends since way back in the days of blogging, which is a thing that nerdy weirdos like us used to do before social media. Beck, willkommen. Hello, how are you going? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm fine. I was thinking about the old blogging days when you put that in the Instagram 
<laughs> the heady days of youth before we're destroyed by Twitter. I know. You know what? They really were very wonderful places mm-hmm. for people who were kind of like racked with social anxiety, like I think <laughs> you and I were, to not only make friends, we made lots of friends on the internet, but, you know, when people ask me, I don't know how you feel about this, but when um, when young writers ask me now, how did you get into writing or, or, you know, what advice would you have for a young writer? I always say to them, well, I was very lucky to come, come up in the days when blogging was still a thing because mm. not only did I make, you know, relate, did I form relationships with so many people who are working in the writing space now, space, working in the writing <laughs> space now, but also like it's a really excellent and essential way I think to hone your writing skills because mm-hmm. you, you're not writing for the purpose of finding a paid audience or mm-hmm. finding paid work necessarily. I think when a lot of us started blogging, we didn't really think that writing was a thing that we could do professionally mm-hmm. or for money. And so we were able to find and develop those voices um, in a way that was kind of, you know, authentic, but also <laughs> that it, it not, like nothing was being churned out for the purpose of like having a hot take on anything. So mm-hmm. there was very heartfelt kind of um, camaraderie about it. And can I also say I'm so fucking grateful that Twitter wasn't around then so that all of my terrible opinions in my 20s could <laughs> Thank God. And I have to say that you, coming from the blogging, I think you joined Twitter and then sort of encouraged me to. So you're to blame really for what's happened since then with me. Oh, well, I take, I take enormous <laughs> pleasure thinking that I might have had anything to do with your incredible <laughs> because you were so funny. Well, and thank I, you. Love you. I love you also. Yeah, but it's, it, I remember as well back then that when Facebook kind of became a thing, I remember thinking, how or having this moment where I thought oh it's really sad that people just can write like a three-line opinion about something because you know the really great thing about blogs is that we can really (laughs) really knuckle down into the heart of a matter whereas now you know it's all about the the quick tweet and I can't be bothered argument (laughs) no it's bad to have opinions (laughs) it's my new thing (laughs) 2020 keep my opinions offline I remember one of the things, so you're mostly known as being a comedy writer and, um, you know, I think we can both agree that most men aren't funny. So Mm -hmm, absolutely. I feel bad for you that you have to work in an industry where there are a lot of men in it who are trying to be funny. It's kind of a bit (laughs) embarrassing really. And I just (laughs) should put a disclaimer out there that that was sarcasm, although most (laughs) men aren't funny. Um, (laughs) So you're, you're mostly known for your comedy writing, but I think as you know, as with so many of the best comedians in the world, a lot of what you do and and a lot of what I've what has resonated so strongly with me is using that humor to expose vulnerabilities or to expose, um, I guess, perceptions in in people reading that you use that comedy to make them think more critically about some of the, you know, deeply held opinions that they might have or their bigotries. And one of the things that you've written so beautifully about is not only being queer and growing up in a small country town, you're from Toowoomba originally where I went to school in primary school for a couple of years. So mm-hmm. I feel your pain. Um, <laughs> but also you've written a lot about fat phobia and the ways in which people, and more recently, the ways in which people's fear of, you know, quote unquote, getting fat in isolation and the flippant jokes that people make about that are actually really hurtful and harmful to fat people who 
you know, the first thing that they hear when they hear that is uh, my fear is looking like you. Yeah. And I think, um, I think it especially is an issue for me because it is like jokes and that's my thing. And I know that there's ways to approach things. Um, Like I think you can make jokes about any topic and you can make jokes about your own insecurities and all those sorts of things. But I feel like I just wanted people to take a second to think about it before putting it out there because it is one of those things where, you know, I understand why people are afraid of getting fat because of everything to do with society every second of the day at all times. So, and I think people internalize that and don't necessarily like they're very much just focused on themselves and how they feel about themselves. And they don't think about how saying something like that will read to a fat person that they might know and love. I've had people make fat jokes and comments sitting next to me about other people. And I think it's just that they forget that you're fat or they don't make the connection because they see you as a human and they don't see those other people as humans. Um, And like I said in the article, like, imagine the the funny like flippant joke that you make imagine that you're saying it to like your colleague's face or a friend that you have as fat and like would you say that dumb joke about putting on weight in front of them so I'll just say that the article that you're referring to was in ABC Life yeah and it was about uh as I said it was about people flippantly talking about their fear of getting fat or, fat or joking about like, oh, I'm going to get so fat in isolation and, and how thoughtless that actually is. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I think that underpins that um, attempt at humour is, and that, you know, makes it so harmful, or one of the things that makes it so harmful is that the implication is that because you're in isolation, you're not doing anything, therefore you're being lazy, therefore mm-hmm. you're within that attempt at humour reinforcing all of not only these stereotypes but actual untruths about Mm -hmm. the link between um, being fat and being active. Mm -hmm. Totally. And it's like all those things are combined. It's if I'm not doing anything and all I'm doing is eating, then I'll get fat because that's how you get fat and that's what fat people do. Um, And so it's all just this cycle that continues to like make fat people feel bad and then that enforces that being fat is bad which makes you scared that you're going to get fat and then you feel bad and it just keeps going and going and there's no circuit breaker so I was just trying to say like just and also it doesn't help like there's lots of studies that say that negative self-talk around fatness and things like that don't help you not get fat it just makes you feel worse which can be a trigger then for doing things that might make you feel physically worse it's just like a it's a bad cycle and just, yeah, I don't know. Uh, it was interesting because your article came out in the same week or I think it was in the same week, you know, as we've said many times in this podcast, time is very strange at the moment. Mm-hmm. I feel like it came out in the same week as also all of these photographs of Adele and mm-hmm. her um, quote unquote physical transformation. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to talk very quickly about that because I think that it will it would be helpful for listeners who have um, have been really convinced by the fat phobic narrative that we live in in this society and the how fat phobia in particular relates to women living under a patriarchal male gaze and mm-hmm. our 
expectation that we conform and that we 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 strive for some kind of conventional standard of physicality in order to prove our worth to the system that we live in but it's very unhelpful then when you see photographs of someone who has um in Adele's case uh, her body has changed quite significantly physically and aesthetically um and that transformation even that word transformation I think is really troubling Mm. but that change has been heralded as something good and it's it's reinforcing to people that this is what we should be aiming for despite the fact that someone like Adele I mean is a multi-grammy award-winning musician and Mm -hmm. absolute legend Mm -hmm. that somehow now this is the thing this is Mm -hmm. the thing that catapults her into mainstream acceptability that now finally she gets to say well I'm a beautiful woman too and not just Mm -hmm. a beautiful woman for a fat woman but I'm a beautiful woman yeah yeah I I tweeted something about it being which is from last time we saw photos of her which was um like so thrilled that now she deserves respect as a human and how like I'll file that away in my psyche forever because that what it that's what it feels like reading that is like it doesn't matter what you achieve it doesn't matter what kind of person you are how successful you are how beautiful you are if you're not thin you're not worthy of respect and you're not worthy of desire and you're not worthy of like applause you're not worthy of anything and it all comes down to this one like literally what it comes down to is if I have more body fat than you that decides for some people if I am a human and deserve respect as a human and people sharing that. And I've seen lots of people like that I like and respect who obviously aren't thinking about it that way and feed into that narrative by sharing those pictures and, and deciding that now she's done this huge main achievement in her life, which isn't all of her success and who she is as a person, but if she's thin or not, it's just insane to me. It's like a moral judgment that is placed on people, a moral um, success if you manage to conform in this way. And I would like to really, at this point, really take the opportunity to strongly enforce to listeners, particularly younger listeners, and to remind you that your body is not an indicator of your moral worth, Mm -hmm. no matter what size your body is, and your body is perfect exactly the way that it is, Mm -hmm. and you are not you are not the narrative that society places on us. And um, it's difficult to make your way through a society that it, it, that places these expectations on you. And so I do appreciate that when things like this happen and when, you know, celebrations or these mm-hmm. things are celebrated in a way that indicates some kind of moral superiority or moral goodness, then it can undo a lot of work that people have done yeah. in themselves to try and it's, counter I know from, like, experience that it's, like how much damage it does, how hard it has been for me to move through life as a fat person and to combat all of these things that tell you that you should hate yourself and not, and like, I am not saying I'm perfect. I have insecurities and it's directly from that. Um, I think one thing I suggest for young listeners is to like start following some fat queer babe or like fat babes on Instagram. Like it's a small thing, but I think it really does make a difference to see people not just being fat and existing but like being like fuck I'm hot like and this is me in my life being hot and being attractive and living my life um yeah I think it can really make a difference and I do feel lucky that I'm queer in that way because 
I think there is a different, like I don't have to appeal to straight men, thank God. And I think queer people and queer women, there's there's more of a culture of appreciating different bodies and different um, looks. So just become queer. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> um, if you're looking for a couple of suggestions as well for people to follow on Instagram, some that pop into my mind immediately are Flex Mummy and mm-hmm. Front Cannon and Katie Parrott does a lot of fashion um, Instagramming. Mm-hmm. Um, and a couple, Ali Garrett is amazing um, and Femme Plastic, who is, her name is Laura Melbourne, queer woman. Um, yeah, there's lots out there. Just follow them and be like, fuck yes. And the good thing is once you start following one, the algorithm mm. will pop way more into your feed. Yeah. And, yeah. So I want to talk as well about the um, about how you growing up queer in a small country town and, mm-hmm. you know, circle back slightly to um, you said you joked before that you don't have to appeal to straight men and thank God. Mm-hmm. Uh, but within that as well, there is the assumption that um, that is the gaze that we yeah. Uh, unfortunately not the gays the queer gays <laughs> all have to live under that regime but but yeah like the it's an insult i think to assume I mean, it erases queer identities and erases queer lives to assume that this is the kind of womanhood that everyone should be aspiring to and that they should be aspiring to womanhood at all mm-hmm. so how did that play out for you growing up in Toowoomba when you i mean it was the 90s mm-hmm. and not a particularly friendly place, I'm sure. No. Um, I. It's funny. I often say that um, being fat was like my best defense against being found out to be gay because I was so closeted. But it's it's a weird relationship where I was trying to be closeted and I was trying not to give away that I was gay for my entire until I was 20 so all through school all through high school this was my secret and being fat (laughs) perversely helped because no one was like why don't you have a boyfriend everyone was like oh yeah you don't have a boyfriend because you're fat and they wouldn't want you so it's this really weird like it's it's sick for any young hot fat babe. no no absolutely not but I think the way I played into that and like was not obviously was not trying to get a boyfriend or I was very happy to sort of just like let that be the assumption. Um, but yeah, I, I think I, it's hard for me to say because I pretty much just shut down that part of me for a long time because I thought I'm gay and I'm never going to be able to be out and I'm never going to be able to have a girlfriend. So I didn't let myself sort of think about romantic relationships in that way because I just assumed it would never happen. Um, but I actually have an article coming out soon that goes more into um, how being queer has really helped um, me f- uh, become someone who like can think that I'm attractive and does think I'm attractive. Um, and it's about, you know, friendships and relationships with people who appreciate you. And it's about, um, yeah, it's just, it's all it's all obviously very complicated and it's it's very difficult to fight back against a society that literally every day is telling you that you're not desirable and i mean everyone who's fat would feel that and it takes a lot of work it just does like that's still the situation that we're in 
Uh, it's interesting actually that you say that because one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was the importance of having a really good network of people around you, not um, not to sort of like soften any of that uh, societal bullshit, mm. but that is how we we do find self-love. Um, you know, I'm not trying to be trite or anything like that, but mm-hmm. um, a, a few weeks ago when Jordan Raskopoulos was on the show and it's, it's something I want to keep bringing up to people when they, you know, are from a, a, they do have things about them that, society would love to tell them are wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so in, in Jordan's case, she talked about her journey towards pride. So not just acceptance, but her journey towards pride mm-hmm. as a trans woman. And I feel like I've observed that in you since mm-hmm. watching you, you know, you moved from Brisbane to Sydney and you established your writing career and you also established like this amazing network of queer people around you. Mm-hmm. And it completely shows in the way that you seem to be now. It's like this, you know, talking about your article and saying that being able to see yourself through the lens of being attractive and being desirable, I feel like that fully comes out in the way that you are and the way that you present yourself now is as someone who is has this confidence that you didn't have 15 years mm. ago. Totally. And I think, I mean, I don't want to be like... Um you have to have other people to feel self-love, but I think it definitely does help. Like that's just a fact. Um, and yeah, I think you can see like a pretty linear, like a linear journey of me becoming someone who um, didn't want to hug someone when I was 15 because I was so self-conscious of being fat and then becoming someone who like over the last few years, especially since finding my people and not just in romantic relationships, but friendships and spending time with people who are fat, because that's, that's also something I think, especially when you're a young person, you avoid other fat people because you don't want to, it's this weird thing where you don't want to be lumped in together and you, it's sort of like, you're like, no one will notice I'm fat if I'm with thin, beautiful people, which doesn't make any logical sense (laughs) at all um but a lot of the ways that we're taught to loathe ourselves make no sense exactly um and I feel so much better about myself by allowing myself to spend time with other fat people and see how hot they are and start to appreciate them and have them appreciate me and find find people to spend time with who aren't trapped in this one way of looking at people and attractiveness in the world and it really has like I sometimes wear a mesh top now when I go to a party which truly would be unthinkable like even 10 years ago like I got a good haircut and I now sometimes show off my tits and like (laughs) (laughs) that's it's truly yeah like it's it's unthinkable it's like I'm a different person and it's been a long journey but it's possible well, on that note, let us get on to the question. <laughs> Great. Please note my disclaimer in very big flashing lights that neither I nor Beck Shaw are doctors, psychologists, or professionally trained sex therapists. We're just two women who've got a little thing called life experience and who know <laughs> the pain of crafting a perfect comedy tweet only to have it be too clever for most people to get. <laughs> Thank you. 
Lesbos Romantic says, I'm a young lesbian and I've been out for about three years. I had my first serious relationship with a girl last year and I was so in love it worried me. I felt completely consumed by the relationship. I couldn't think of anyone else. I was clingy and obsessive, which is the exact opposite of how I am in other aspects of my life. We broke up about six months ago and she broke my heart. So I took a big break from dating because I figured if I poured enough time and love into myself, I wouldn't end up so unhealthily attached to someone again. But I recently met someone and I can already feel myself falling down the same rabbit hole. Help. I don't want to be completely emotionally dependent on the person I'm dating, but I'm at a complete loss as to how to stop myself from falling too hard. Beck Shaw. Mm. Classic, a classic tale. <laughs> um, this is hard because I feel like a lot of people have the tendency to give your, once you're in love with someone, once you're infatuated, the tendency to like give yourself over to them and give yourself into the relationship completely is, can be really strong. Um, and I think you, I think it's about, it's like taking practical steps. I think it's about making sure that you have boundaries, making sure that you don't fall into spending all of your time together and spending every minute thinking about when you're going to see them next it's about making sure that you keep your own life they keep their own life and you sort of you know you package off times that you spend together and you have times when you're not together and that's just like a natural way for a relationship to to develop instead of immediately becoming overwhelmed and giving all parts of your life over to one other person um, I mean, I agree. And it's I also tough. think that it's really hard because part and parcel of being young and yeah. I feel like when you're young, you have a romance is so, you you've, you basically you've had, haven't had your heart broken a ton of times. So yeah. you haven't developed a thick callus around. The wariness. Exactly. Yeah. But also you have fewer um when I say responsibilities, I don't mean that your life isn't hard and demanding. I mean, you have fewer external things that mm-hmm. potentially would drag your mind away from the day-to-day minutiae of relationships. And I mean, I know I relate strongly to this question because I, mm-hmm. I, I, especially the bit about, you know, I don't want to be that kind of person, but when I feel myself falling mm-hmm. again, I, I'm, you know, I'm a daydreamer, I'm a romantic. And I'm, I sort of walk that fine line between, um, not really wanting to have a relationship and not having time. And this is still me now at 38, not wanting to have a relationship and not having time and having all of these other responsibilities and thinking, you know, every time I sort of feel fairly lukewarm about someone, I think, oh, see, this is why. It's just I just don't have time for a relationship. They're just boring. They're a waste of time, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. What's the point? But then you meet the one person where you're like, wow, I'm totally inspired by that person's mind. They're so Mm -hmm. attractive to me and I do find myself sitting there and daydreaming for hours and manufacturing scenarios in my head where um, it's almost like it's almost that perfect sort of torture where you kind of let the scenario play out but then halfway through you're like, no, 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 I'm going to change the setting. Where are we? We're somewhere else. <laughs> you know, I think, God, I've got work to do. Why am I like this? <laughs> um, what I really liked about the way that you know, this little sister asked this question though was, and I think a lot of people would do well to learn from this, particularly 
I think young men who've also been fed the falsehood that if they, I mean, I know that this is, this is a question about a very, about a queer relationship and queer women, but young straight cis men who've been fed the falsehood that they just need to keep trying with women and they need to, to like woo them and win them over and be mm-hmm. obsessed. And obviously this, you know, at, at, at best is still quite harmful to everyone involved, but at worst can result in very dangerous behaviour. I really liked how this person said, my heart was broken and I took a big break from dating and I mm-hmm. figured that if I put enough love and time into myself, I wouldn't be so unhealthily attached to someone again. And I think that mm-hmm. you should congratulate yourself, hopeless romantic, for recognising that th- those patterns of behaviour were first and foremost unhealthy to yourself and mm-hmm. harmful to yourself they weren't making you happy and you identified that and instead of externalizing that and blaming this person that broke your heart for how they made you feel which is so often how I think cis straight men are kind of encouraged to feel mm-hmm. um you said well what can I do to make that situation healthier if you know when I encounter it again in the future and so now you're at the point where you feeling like you're falling in love again or you're feeling that that attraction is being peaked once more. And the good news is that you have recognised the patterning and you can put things in place to um, prevent it from overwhelming you. Mm -hmm. So at that point, Beck, I would love to ask you if you've ever been personally in a situation where you felt that kind of pull. I mean, haven't, I think we all have and this person, I agree, is the fact that you can recognize it after one example. Like often it takes me several <laughs> goes at something before recognizing it as an unhealthy pattern. Um, and I do think, I mean, love is amazing and it can be all consuming and it's hard to think logically. Um, but I think, and also I, w- I was in a, a situation where I went, I went straight from being closeted into a 10 year monogamous relationship um, because I mean, for many reasons, but partly it was that I hadn't met many queer people and didn't think I would ever be loved again. And so it's only been the last four or five years that I've really been dating. Um, And I think, I think the one thing I would keep in mind is that it's healthy for you to have your own like to not be consumed but it's also going to mean it's more likely the relationship will have longevity and I think if that is your ultimate aim is to have this relationship and have this person to think about it in terms of what will sustain a relationship for a longer amount of time which is the end thing that you want um I think realizing that 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 your patterns will probably contribute to things ending sooner and ending harder um, might be some way that you can start to work at setting boundaries and and keeping space and time for yourself and other interests and other people um, and not just letting it all flow into this one person. Yeah, and I also would love to encourage you, Hopeless Romantic, to find that group and network of people that Beck was talking about, that that you were talking about earlier, Beck, Um, because I think, you know, you say that you've been out for three years and I don't know, maybe you have a wonderful network of 
queer people around you. Maybe you only see queer people, in which case, congratulations, you've made the right <laughs> choice. Um, but if you don't, then I think that having that established network of friends where there isn't that, you know, that muddied kind of, um, and maybe there will be, you know, the cross dating is obviously mm-hmm. a thing. Um, but people who you can actually get some of that emotional sucker from and mm-hmm. that emotional support to fulfill the parts of yourself that you may be finding just in this one person and you may be mm-hmm. wanting to suck f- from that one person alone, that they will actually mm-hmm. be filled by other people. From my own experience um, from dating women and from being in relationships where we've fallen hard for each other, the different experience I've had dating women and dating cis men has been, this is just for my personal experience as well, and I grew up in a, in a far less kind of queer um, celebratory mm-hmm. Australia. But I think it's really important to establish still boundaries between your social circles and your relationships. And just because you're a woman dating a woman doesn't mean that if you're going out with other women who are your girlfriends, that your girlfriend should always come with you. Um, mm-hmm. And I say that not because I'm saying, you know, like uh, you shouldn't spend time with your girlfriend, but I think that it's important for your friends to have you alone and it's important mm-hmm. for you to be alone around your friends and to to not incorporate your romantic life into every aspect of your life. Mm-hmm. I would also say that, I mean, I don't know what the situation is, but a, a way that you can avoid this situation is by dating other people as well. Like have this person that you're starting to form an attraction with and go on other dates, like have your, like it's, you can still build a relationship and build a strong, strong feelings for this person. But if it, if you can sort of not stop it from becoming serious, but sort of diverse, (laughs) diversify your interests for a little while I think it can help um help you realize that or help you not pour everything into one person if you're still date if you're going on dates with them and you're going on dates with other people or going on tinder dates I think it can really help um hold that sort of all in like immediate thing that especially queer women do like it's a stereotype for a reason um I don't know if that's an option that you are open to, like, especially for the beginning of a relationship, what, like, just keep, keep your options open in a way that you're not just getting all of your attraction and attention and flirtations from one person. If you want this to not happen again immediately. And that's advice that stands for everyone who is interested in dating at all, Mm. regardless of what their sexual orientation Mm. is it's really important that you maintain time and space for yourself, time mm-hmm. and space for your other relationships. And also that you, if you, if you feel inclined to, that you open yourself up to dating other people. It's just, I always used to think when I was growing up how strange it was that um, America has a real dating culture and we mm-hmm. kind of drip fed that through American mu- movies. And we've picked up so much from American pop culture that we've incorporated into our own social structure, but we sort of didn't really pick up the dating around before you get serious with someone Mm. part of it Mm. it's like someone and then that's it you're seeing them and sometimes I feel like people get stuck into these 
they 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 wake up one day and they find themselves in a relationship and they're not necessarily really sure how they got there. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's in, I think it's definitely a thing and it's also something that you can I think you should before you start dating someone or before you're in a relationship with someone or in this situation, I think it's important and it's obviously this listener has done this is think about what you want. Like do you want this all consumption all encompassing one relationship, one person that that's your entire life? Or do you want a situation where you can move in a more casual way? And part of that is casually dating them, casually dating some other people and seeing how that affects things. And it sort of just gives you more time. Takes the pressure off yourself. Yeah, exactly. And you, I mean, it's, it's just something to think about if, if you are, if you don't want to repeat these same patterns, which obviously the listener doesn't, which I think is just something to think about. Yeah. And shows remarkable self-awareness on your part. So I, I think know. that you should congratulate yourself for being yeah. that self-aware and trust that your intuition and your heart is telling you what you want and what the right things are to do. Mm-hmm. And, that you and she's can... protecting herself as well, which yeah. is a really like the main thing. And also we're saying this, like, I. <laughs> Like you said, you relate to this this listener. I was going to say caller. Um, you know, we're saying this. I'm saying this from a situation where I'm not in that situation and can say all the logical and like right things that you should do, which I hope I would do if I was in the same situation. But who knows? It's hard. But the first step is like realizing it and thinking about it, which they're doing, which is amazing. <laughs> Radio City asks, I executive produce EP, I EP an all-queer radio show for a local community radio station, and sometimes I struggle to think of content. We discuss news and any relevant topic to queer issues, or just have some fun banter. I was wondering if you had advice in creating online uh, slash media content, or any advice in general on queer content. And this question came in specifically, Beck, because you were going to be on the show today. <laughs> well, first follow me on Twitter. Um, <laughs> I think um, first, it this made me think of sh- like straight people on breakfast radio and how they this their segments are just based on the smallest, most insignificant thing like, oh, my wife said something crazy. And then they talk about that for like two hours. Um, My actual advice would be start to write down things that come up in your everyday life. Like write down what your friends talk about. Like if, if some, if your friends are at the pub, well, not anymore, but if your friends are gathered around and, something sets you off something dumb you talk about for an hour like write that down as a thing that could be turned into a conversation on the show and you can what I would do also is um set up a dedicated account that just follows queer media and queer people on Instagram and Twitter and has it have it as basically like a news feed and just there's going to be so much discussion and debate about serious issues and just silly internet stuff that can easily be gabbed about for a while and that's good advice for straight people as well who should just be diversifying 
their yes. content. Yes. Um, and their consumption. Um, the other thing I, and this question we can just be brief on, but um, the other thing I wanted to remind you of, dear listener, is that it's a queer show and therefore I know that you want to focus on queer issues, but everything that you do and talk about mm-hmm. is being approached through a queer lens. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't, you don't have to necessarily feel like if you're not explicitly talking about queer issues or issues that affect or impact the queer community that you're not you're somehow letting your listeners down i think that the very fact that you're coming at it from a queer perspective whatever it is whether or not you're talking about the fucking bachelor which mm-hmm. i'm going to talk about in a minute <laughs> um but everything is being presented through a queer lens because you're all queer people yeah and there's no right or wrong topic for you to focus I, on i would reference queer stories which is i don't for other people who don't know is um, a monthly storytelling event in Sydney that's taken off and goes around the world run by my Maeve Marsden and it's also a podcast and that show is always a curated lineup of queer people telling a story but they it's stories about everything but it's Mm. it's a queer night it's for queer people it's a queer audience largely but it's not me being like I'm gay and this is a story about being gay it's just the way coming you out. live your life. Yeah. It, yeah. Generally coming out stories, things like that are avoided. It's, but everything is queer if you're a queer person saying it. So. Yeah. I mean, I think I did my queer stories on my like terrible flying anxiety. Yeah. And your queer yeah. flying anxiety. Queer flying anxiety. <laughs> now, the thing I use now to get over the anxiety that I feel midway through the air is um, uh, I remember when I had awful pregnancy anxiety and my counsellor at the time said you know I was like I just I know that I can't make them take the baby out I can't go to the hospital and make them take the baby out and she said to me well why not and you know in the story that I told at Quiz Stories mm-hmm. I was like well, obviously I you know she was very wise because she knew that obviously I they wouldn't listen to me yeah but they would probably be like you need some help um <laughs> but also she gave me that power to sort of say well I could do that I could, I can do that. And so then I, mm. when I'm on a plane now, I think, well, if I really need to, I can ask the pilot to land the plane. I can <laughs> have to land the plane right now. So basically my flying anxiety method now is to just daydream about hijacking the plane. <laughs> um, that's a story because everything that a queer person does or talks about is by its nature through a queer lens. Exactly. But yes, as Beck said, um, follow you know, queer content providers and content makers follow back online. I mean, in saying that everything is queer and it doesn't have to, I do love talking about being queer and queer things. So (laughs) I think there is, there is a lot out there that you can, I mean, you could talk about a meme for an hour on a radio show. Like there's so much out there. I think it's just about noticing it as something that you could make a conversation out of. Be more like, like Buddy and knocker or whatever their names are on breakfast radio and dog fist or whatever their stupid names are <laughs> and it always sounds like yeah that's i mean that's a game that you could play is it a morning breakfast radio show host <laughs> name or is it your dog name yeah <laughs> and then some woman's name it's like three men and jane yeah jane the hand guys <laughs> oh, say that stop yeah it's truly it's truly Radio is truly one of the most heterosexual, worst places on earth, I think. Hell on earth. Yeah. 
it's also Radio City, before I, we go to the next question, please write in and let us know what your show is because it would hmm. be wonderful to tune in and listen to it. Oh, come on. Yes. Yes. Walking the Line wants to know, have Beck or yourself, that's me, Clementine, had any close female friends with whom you've shared strong relationships, relationships that dance close to the line of romantic love? Some context, I'm married and have been for three years to a wonderful woman, woohoo, and she makes me happy. I have a group of female friends who I love dearly. I feel close enough with two of them that if I found myself uh, I'm going to put a little flag in there. I feel close enough with two of them. I feel close enough with two of them that if I found myself single again, I'd feel at ease exploring a romantic relationship with either of them. Is it wrong to have strong feelings for someone other than your partner? I don't act on them, but they're sitting there. Any advice, experience, or insight is much appreciated. And no, I've not asked my therapist. I wouldn't be comfortable with that. <laughs> Um, well, to the first one, if you've ever had close female friends with whom you've shared strong relationships with, I mean, yes, <laughs> I think not to talk about queer stereotypes, but I think it's sort of the old and extremely true thing with queer women. Like, is this a date or are we friends? And that's a different situation, but I think it's a little it's bit. A lot in- of- lesbian tiktok yes in that <laughs> oh yes <laughs> um i think this is a little bit inherent in being queer if you have a sh- if you have a queer relationship and your friends are queer and your community is queer not that you can't have friends that you're not just friends with and that you're not being true or faithful to your partner if you're in a monogamous relationship but i just think it's a little bit more fluid moving in and out of romantic and friendship situations partly because there's just not that many of us like you like that's one of the things it comes down to is you straight people you can break up with a guy and literally never see him or anyone he knows ever again and that's a really easy way to never have to think about him again but with queer people we've had to navigate dynamics more um like it's it's a much more tricky situation. So I think we've had to navigate having different sorts of relationships with different people and having those change over time. What do you think as someone who's dated? Yeah. I I mean, I think that I've had that with men and women. Right. You know, it's def- mm-hmm. definitely had it with women where the, you know, French, the friendships that I have with men and women are both different. Um, although, t- to be honest, I'm not, friends with a lot of men where it's very surface mm-hmm. um it's not interested right in friendships with men mm-hmm. um and I do have quite a few male friends that I have like wonderful dynamics with um you know we can have deep conversations and stuff shockingly mm-hmm. um but yeah I've definitely had a few male friends where it's that that weird kind of like flirtatious undercurrent is there mm-hmm. and I've absolutely had that undercurrent in my friendships with women um I'm just trying to think if I've acted on any of them I think we've I think that there's been times when there's been an acknowledgement of it and sometimes 
sometimes just doing that, I think, can be really helpful. I think just mm-hmm. acknowledging it's frisson between us and it's there and, it, and it, it's meaningful and um, it adds to our friendship and our relationship. And in, if circumstances were different, then perhaps we would pursue a romantic relationship. It doesn't sound like this woman is interested in opening her relationship with no. her wife, which could be an option if that was something that you were willing or, or interested in doing, walking the line. Um, but, you know, given that you may not be interested in that, I think I think maybe even just acknowledging that there is a romantic attraction there and that and it's something that it doesn't have to detract from your relationship with your wife because your relationship with your wife is completely different. Mm-hmm. And acknowledging that attraction doesn't have to be a betrayal until it gets to the point, unless it gets to the point where you feel like you are actually developing an emotional intimacy that is potentially. Yeah. And it's, it sounds like this person is across things to know that I think, I think you would know if you feel like you're doing something wrong. And if it turns into some into a thing where you know that your wife would be upset with what you're doing, and I think that is a different situation. And obviously, you want to avoid the situation where maybe you and your wife break up, and then you start dating your friend, and your wife feels betrayed and is like, "I knew something was going on between them." Like that sort of. I may be bringing in a past thing there, but um. <laughs> I think at the end of the day, we can't, you can't inform everyone all of the time of all of your thoughts and goings on in your brain, but it's about being honest and open at points where you should be honest and open with the person that you're married to. Um, I don't, I don't necessarily agree that you need to, I'm not sure if this is what you're saying, but I don't necessarily agree that you need to be open and honest about the fact that you have attractions to other people. No, no, that's. Yeah, I'm saying if it reaches that point where it feels like you're being secretive mm. or doing something wrong, I think that's where it comes into. I'm saying you can't you can't tell everyone your inner thoughts and attractions and f- like for every person we would be doing it constantly. But I think this person is already aware of the dynamic and I think would know if she crosses a line and that's where it will change into what you know, if you have to talk to your wife. It's interesting because this uh, a variation of this question gets asked all the time um, mm-hmm. on this show and I receive so many emails along this line whether or not, regardless again of sexual orientation, there is a, a fear or a, a desire I think from a lot of people to be given um, permission to feel attractions outside of their relationships, which of course Of course, you are allowed to feel attracted to people outside of your relationships. You should feel attracted to people outside of your relationships. No Mm -hmm. one person should ever be the sole thing that fulfills your romantic, your spiritual, your emotional, or your physical needs. And when I say physical needs, I don't just mean, you know, if you have an open relationship, sure, pursue other things. But you shouldn't also think, well, this person who I go to bed with is the only person that gives me any kind of intimate touch. You should be hugging your friends if you want Mm to. and and having that intimacy from other people. So it is totally normal when you say, is it wrong to have strong feelings for someone other than your partner? It's not wrong. And also it's completely normal. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we live with any luck, we'll live long lives and to want to only have an experience with one person for that, the entirety of your life is unrealistic. Yeah. Um, and I would give this advice to 
anyone who is interested in having romantic relationships with people, and that is that first and foremost you have to ask yourself what kind of life do you want to live and what kind of life do you want to reflect on when you get to the end of it. And if it's if you're lucky enough, if you see this as a form of luck, to have spent your entire life or your entire adult life in the in a romantic relationship with one person and that person has been largely um, fulfilling for you, then amazing. But if you get to the end of your life and you think, well, I did the right thing by my partner mm. at the expense of my own enjoyment of life, and I'm, you know, I'd like to reiterate that I think that first and foremost, everyone should always behave with integrity and be ethical about the choices that they make. And, you know, a piece of advice, I've shared it before on this show, but a piece of advice my mother gave my brother once was that if you ever break up with someone, um, under normal circumstances, obviously, if you ever break up with someone, make sure that you do it with integrity and honesty and you do it in, in an ethical way so that if you ever see them on the street in future, you can both look at each other and smile and say that was a parting well made. Mm-hmm. So to live with a framework of integrity and ethics, I think is first and foremost. But don't, I don't think that anyone should be thinking to themselves, well, in, in the heteronormative um, nuclear family model society that we live in, uh, I should be making the right choices so that, so that I fit within that model. Mm-hmm. Because what's the point of that? What's the point of getting to the end of life and thinking, well, I, you know, I had all of these attractions to other people. I could have experienced so much more of what humanity has to offer, but I did the right thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I would also say that because this is a queer relationship, I, f- I mean, I, I obviously don't know what the situation is, but I mean, maybe it is an option that you could talk about opening your relationship if that's something that and eventually down the line that is something that you might want if these feelings get stronger and it's becoming I mean I think the choice between talking to basically I'm saying the choice between talking to your partner about the possibility of opening a relationship or cheating on your partner I feel like one is the obvious choice if that's what it comes to eventually not that I'm saying this person would but I mean I think that's also an option that you should keep open in your mind I often think with questions, you know, anytime we seek advice from anyone, whether or not it's on a public podcast or whether or not it's just privately with our friends, questions often um, hide realities Mm -hmm. within the way that they're worded or within the way that they're framed. And when I read this one in particular, what I'm seeing is someone who is happy with their wife um, who loves their wife, but potentially has has reached a state of comfort within that relationship that mm-hmm. um, which we all do if we're in a long term relationship. We all kind of fall into patterns where we think, well, that that zing is no longer there. There's no excitement about going out and seeing them. The will they, won't they? Are they going to be at the party tonight, etc. Um, and something is being fulfilled in uh, this woman by her friends. And if it, if it just stays at that, mm-hmm. that's fine. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's fine if it goes beyond that as well. I'm just saying that if, if her concern is that these feelings mean that she doesn't feel as strongly about her, her wife mm-hmm. anymore, then I think you can actually give yourself permission to let yourself off the hook for that mm-hmm. because it's probably healthy for your relationship actually to have some of these, this need for 
a frisson or this need for a zing to be fulfilled elsewhere mm-hmm. because you can have that moment where it's all very innocent and you can have your you can indulge your daydreams and provided they don't begin to infiltrate your relationship to the point as beck said that you're um you're lying to your wife or you're doing the wrong thing by your wife or you're humiliating her in any way then i think it's it's completely normal mm. and healthy yeah I would say that I flirt with all of my friends, so <laughs> yeah, I've definitely fine. <laughs> and flirting is really fun. Flirting it is, is fun. a wonderful distraction, and um, particularly flirting when you think that it's safe flirting. You totally. know, you sort of feel kind of do it, and it's not. You don't have to follow through on anything, and everyone knows what the state of play is. It's a t- completely legitimate form of intimacy and form of satisfaction that more people should embrace. Unless yeah. obviously there's got to be a mutual flirting. Don't flirt with someone who clearly doesn't want to be flirted with because that's Men. not flirting. <laughs> that's... <laughs> <laughs> but I think that walking the line, I think that you're fine and, uh, you know, life is, life is long but life is short too. I say that a lot. Mm-hmm. And don't beat yourself up about having completely normal attractions to other people. And remember as well that the state of play in your relationship right now might not be the way that it is forever and it could get better or it could end. And an ended relationship is not a failed relationship. It's not Mm -hmm. a failure in your life. It's a part of your life that was meaningful and that gave you an enormous amount of, at the very least, learning about yourself, but that was a phase you're just going through a phase. No, I don't mean that. <laughs> and maybe you and your wife will be together forever and you can laugh about this one day, but embrace every little bit of mm. romance in your life, I say. And also there is the fluidity I was talking about is partly that you you just love your friends as well. Like you're friends with people who uh, you find attractive and people you find fun to be around and like let yourself enjoy that in whatever context it is. Um, like why would you be friends with people that you don't have some sort of attraction in some way to? Mm. Mm. Exactly. You have been listening to The Big Sister Hotline, a weekly advice podcast that delivers no-nonsense words with love from the kind of people you know have your back your big sisters. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podchaser, Google Podcasts, Radio.com, and everywhere else you look for great content. And you can also listen to all the back episodes. If you like the show, then please consider rating and reviewing it because every little bit helps. And if you would like to sponsor the show, please get in touch. Send your questions and sponsorship inquiries to bigsisterhotline at gmail.com. And you can support the ongoing making of the podcast at my Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash Clementine Ford. My guest this week has been Beck Shaw, a writer, comedian, and prominent local lesbian. (laughs) Beck, what can we expect next from you, particularly in this weird state of play that we're in now with Corona and isolation? That is a great question that I do not have the answer to. Um, But if you follow me on Twitter or Instagram, I'm doing my podcast, Bring a Plate, more regularly now because we're trapped in our homes. Um, And any work that I do will be popping up there at Brocklesnitch. At Brocklesnitch, uh, at Instagram and um, Twitter. Twitter. Mm -hmm. 
Remember, there's no topic too thorny and no question too weird for the Big Sister Hotline. We're here for all the questions you don't want to ask your therapist, especially now it has to be over Zoom. So contact us instead, the Big Sister Hotline. The phone lines are open. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.